So what's your view of the Sabbath? Uh, I grew up in a small community. It was a small, what we would call an ARP community, Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. Small little family-dominated church in the country. Pretty much all of us were kin to each other. All lived in the same area. You know how these southern small towns are. And as a little boy, um, we grew up in the house, and my grandparents lived in the house next door, which was a quarter of a mile away. But my memory of Sundays, my memory of Sabbaths, was something like this. Well, you had to get up and put on your good church clothes, right? And living through those, you know, ages 8, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, good church clothes, you didn't want to have to buy those very often. So that usually meant you went to church with, with pants that were just a little bit too short, right? Those were your Sunday pants. They didn't fit quite right, and you felt a little goofy wearing those. And you're supposed to wear a nice shirt, maybe a clip-on tie. I remember wearing clip-on ties as a little boy. Put on your Sunday shoes. You only wore them on Sunday. Then you'd go to church, and I have memories of my historic church, which I appreciate greatly, but we'd sit in a little Sunday school class, two of us, with the Sunday school teacher, my brother and me, and it smelled like mothballs, and it was dusty and dirty because, you know, nobody ever came and cleaned the church. We just did that ourselves as it was needed. So it just kind of had this old and archaic feeling and then after church, I won't comment on the worship service, but after church, um, the two Patrick boys, my brother and me, we were out the door and we were gone. And we lived about a half a mile or less from the church, really I guess a quarter mile from the church, and we would walk until we got around the hedges where nobody could see us. Then we would sprint home because we had to cut on the television to watch wrestling. So we would watch wrestling, which started at 12, and so we were running to get there so we didn't miss any more than we had to. Uh, that's one memory of Sundays as a little boy. The second memory is one time going over to my grandparents' house for lunch and throwing the football in the yard with my brother, and my granddaddy's sitting on the porch rocking in his rocking chair with his walking stick and him saying out to us and pointing with his stick saying, you boys quit throwing that football. It's the Lord's day. And so we dropped the football and we came in and sat in an unair-conditioned un big farmhouse and watched football on TV. <laughs> and I remember not really quite being able to make sense of that. And then I also have a memory after about a year or so of enjoying watching those wrestling shows on TV. My mother coming in after they finished visiting at church and we, she would come home and there we were watching wrestling and she said, I'm tired of seeing those sweaty men chop each other. Cut that off. And we were like, but mom. And she scrambled for a good answer and it was, it's the Lord's day. So cut it off. So as a little child, the Lord's Day, the Sabbath, Sunday, was really defined as a little boy 
for all the things you could not do. Can't do this, can't do that, can't have fun. And how many times, you know, if, if in a picture it would look like a 10-year-old boy sitting in his grandmother's parlor listening to the tick-tock on the grandfather clock and looking out the window to a bright and sunny day with toys on the yard or a playground outside just wishing, could we do something, right? I don't know your experience with the Lord's Day, with Sabbaths growing up, if you grew up in the southeast, but that was mine. And I'll tell you, I did not like Sundays. I didn't enjoy Sundays. They were a day of things you cannot do rather than the blessing that God has given the Sabbath for all of us to be and to experience. So consider your childhood view of Sabbath or your current view of Sabbath. And if you're willing, let's put it on the table and consider it according to Scripture this morning. So I have three simple points for us, and the first is this. In the Bible, there is an expectation of hard work. That you and I, as creatures in the image of God, we are called to work, and we are called to work hard. Hard labor. We know this from Genesis chapters 1 and 2, that the Lord created the earth. He created man and woman as the apex of His creation. And now He says, go and subdue the earth. Fill the earth. Guard and keep the garden of the earth. There is much for you to do. And so there's a rhythm of six days of labor that we learn in Scripture. And in Genesis chapter 3, it gets even harder because of man's sin. You remember that by the toil and the sweat of their brow, they will contend with the weeds of the garden and the thorns of the garden. Listen to Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. To Adam the Lord said, Because of sin, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life, and it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return." So from the earliest chapters of Scripture, what we're given in Genesis is we are called to work. We are called to work hard for God's glory. And because of sin, there are going to be all kind of complications in the workplace, you could say. Thorns and thistles that complicate work. It's by the sweat of our brow and by... You know, the breaking of our backs that we will find our food is what Genesis says. Now, my second point and my longest point is that by God's gracious provision, He has provided a rest for those who labor. He has provided the needed Sabbath rest that those who are toiling in labor truly need. 
And actually, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the second giving of the Ten Commandments, uh, this commandment reads a little bit differently. I want you to hear this. I don't have it printed for you, I don't think. Do I? I do. Of course I do. Deuteronomy chapter 5, it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Hey, that sounds exactly like Exodus 20 so far, but listen to this. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on... I just skipped to Exodus 20. I'm sorry, my notes, my, I'm blind, I can't see. So this is what it says in Deuteronomy 5, I'm sorry. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So what that should have communicated right there, Deuteronomy 20, excuse me, Exodus 20 is centered on creation. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, the Lord says, because I delivered you out of bondage, out of slavery, and out of toilsome labor, you need a Sabbath rest. And both of those pictures, whether rooted in creation or whether rooted in redemption, they are both blessings to God's people who were overwhelmed with the harshness of life and of work. And so you see, this Sabbath concept, this Sabbath principle, it is really a gracious provision. It is a blessing to God's people. But somehow you and I have made it to be a burden. What God has given us is a blessing we have made to be a burden. We've made the Sabbath into a list of things that we can't do. We've made the Sabbath a, a kind of forced boredom on people. You can't throw the football, but you can watch football on TV. Matter of fact, years ago, uh, there was someone my age being examined for presbytery and asked on this question of the Sabbath, um, trying to, to give an answer for a perspective of what you can and can't do, he said, well, you can play flag football with a youth group on Sunday, but it would be wrong to play tackle football with a youth group on Sunday. And of course, the answer to that is, what? What, what do you mean? How, how are you measuring this? What are you bringing to this commandment to make sense out of God's blessing and gift to you? But that's what we've done. We have made the Sabbath to be burdensome when really it is a blessing. And if you look at your own heart, your own sinful heart, like we're supposed to, I think you'll find you do the exact same thing. Things that are intended to be a great blessing for you from God, we will turn them into burdens. Somehow we've taken the good news that, okay, do not work yourselves to death. Work six hard days, and then you get a day where you are to cease your labor. That's what Sabbath means. It's cessation of labor. Somehow we've turned that into bad news, and it makes no sense. So several years ago, I know a man who took his family away on spring break. 
uh, through a relationship with a friend, he had access to a million-dollar mountain house. This is a true story. Free access to a million-dollar mountain house. So he decided, you know what, I'm going to take the family, the, the kids, the four kids. Let's say he had four kids. I'm going to take the four kids away to the million-dollar mountain house for their spring break. Stay in a beautiful place, have a great time. Took about four hours of being in the million-dollar mountain house till the grumbling began. Dad, why did we have to come here? You ruined our spring break, right? And you're like, the adult is like, what? How did this blessing turn into a burden that ruined your spring break? So we joke about this in my, in my family. I'll let you connect all the dots. But we're the same way with the Lord. What He gives us to be a blessing, somehow in our little hearts, we're like, well, we don't really want to do that. We don't want to have to take a day off and rest and fellowship and feast and have festivals and enjoy one another. We'll turn it into a list of things that we can't do. Then we'll start measuring each other by, well, they did this and they shouldn't do that, right? That's largely the history and the practice of the church, at least in the southeast. So how have you made what is intended to be a blessing into a burden? Have you made the day to be less than what it was intended to be? In Mark chapter 2, you might remember that Jesus is walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and He's hungry, and the Pharisees are watching Him, and He, he runs His hand across the, the top of the grain and rolls it and makes some kernels. And he eats some. And the Pharisees see that and they accuse him of what? Reaping and harvesting. He's a Sabbath breaker. And that's where Jesus gives us an understanding of the Sabbath when he says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So they were comparing each other and making rules and lists of do's and don'ts. And Jesus, Jesus says, forget that. The day is a blessing. It was made for you. You were not made for it. And so how have you made what God's given you as a good gift into something that robs joy, that brings exhaustion, that has no room for celebration and happiness? Have you done it? The chances are that you and I have both done it and done it very well. So how is it a blessing? Four things for you to consider. First, we're to cease and desist from the six-day routine of labor. Quite simply, what that means is whatever you're doing for your six days of the week, you need a rhythm, you need a day where it changes. And you don't do that anymore. Some of you are on your computer six days a week. You need a day where you're away from your computer. Maybe you're on your phone constantly getting emails or, or getting text messages. You need a day where you don't do that. So says the Lord. Or maybe you work with your hands during the week. Maybe you're uh, tilling the soil, so to speak, during the week. You need a day when you're not doing that. Maybe you're sitting down in an air-conditioned office at a desk for six days a week. You need a day where you're not doing that. You need a break from the six-day rhythm of labor. 
And then whatever you do, you're to do it wholly and completely to the Lord and for His glory. You need whole person rest. You need physical rest, emotional rest, mental rest. You need spiritual rest. Now let me stop right there and say that some of you have grown up under the influence of maybe fathers, maybe coaches, maybe professors, and and you would bow up to that statement about needing whole person rest and say, no, 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 not me. It'd be wrong for me to rest. I just go and I go hard and I go strong all the time. You know, I'm reminded of that great movie, Remember the Titans, for those of you who've seen it, where Coach Boone, as his exhausted football players, they're overheated, practicing in the heat of Virginia in August, and they need a water break. They're exhausted. They're dehydrated. And Coach Boone looks at them, and remember what he says? Water's for cowards. And you watch that and you're like, that's crazy. That's the craziest thing you could say to a human being who is dehydrated, who is exhausted, who's given everything that they have. No, water's for cowards. But some of you who've grown up under an influence, maybe it was harshness from a father, from a coach, from a professor, that would say, you don't need a day off. You need to, you need to keep up or somebody else is going to get in front of you. Right? That's not biblical thinking. God says you need a day off, you need a change of rhythm, and your whole person needs to rest. Your body, your soul, your mind, your emotions. And the one who made us knows us best. He knows what we need. So water is not for cowards, and neither is rest. We need those things. The God who made us says that we need those Christopher Ash in his little book, Zeal Without Burnout, which our officers in our church are, are reading and considering right now, he says this, The six to one ratio as a pattern for days of work and rest is hardwired into creation and the human race. Behind the Sabbath commandment lies a creation pattern. Even if the Sabbath is no longer an old covenant religious obligation, we are simply foolish to behave as though we no longer need a day of rest each week. That's exactly right. There is a pattern. The image of God on you means that you need a six to one ratio. That's how He's made you. And it's not godly, it's not strong, it's not wise to say, nah, I don't really need it. I'll just take a few hours. God didn't call you to have three hours of rest one day a week. He called you from sunrise to sunset to be able to walk away from your labor and your trust in yourself that you'll get everything fixed and everything done. That you have to trust Him with those hours when you turn and walk away from work for the purpose of worship, the purpose of fellowship, the purpose of community, the purpose of feeding your own soul. He says you need that. And if you don't have that, guess what? You're going to disintegrate slowly. You're going to erode as a human being. It's just true. You may be able to prop up an image of not disintegrating, but you're going to disintegrate from the inside out if you don't have the care, the pattern, and the life that God says that you need. 
So I want you to think about that. Maybe you see the evidence of disintegration happening in you or happening in your family because you're not in the six-to-one ratio that God has given you as, as a gift. He's given you as a blessing. You're working hard, but you're never fully resting. You're never being restored. You're never being rejuvenated by Him and by His Word and the physical rest that you need. Without rest, we lack God's intended structure, rhythm, diversity, and pace of daily life. We then lack optimal energy, productivity, creativity, and recreation or recreation. Then we disintegrate as human beings further failing to image God and to worship Him as we ought. So in the way of application, let me give you something to, to meditate on oh, for the rest of your life. And this is, this is something I scribbled out and shared with students years ago, and it, and it condemns me because I haven't honored this, but there's truth in this principle, Okay? And it's this, beware overly busy life seasons that become overly busy lifestyles that become overly busy lifetimes. Now what I mean by that is this, now I'm, I'm speaking to my students right now, if you're a student of some kind, particularly in college, you know what it is, that there are seasons of busyness where everything hits at once, right? Tests, papers, it all just seems to fall within a few days of the calendar. And those are understandable times where you've just got to go hard. You may not sleep much for those days. That's a really busy season, we call it. But we can find ourselves starting to live that way with everything because of our inability to say no to things, right? Our inability to say no, we'll take up more and do more, and we'll get used to that busyness. And that busy pace can almost become addictive because your adrenaline flows when you got to perform and you got to go. And it's awful good on a resume to be a busy and productive, functioning person. And that combination of self pride, loving being busy and telling people how busy you are and adrenaline, having to perform and go at that busy pace, that can stretch that busy season into a lifestyle. And then if you learn to live that way, you'll take it with you out into the world. And you'll find you continue to live that way. And now that busy lifestyle becomes a busy lifetime. And before you know it, you've got children, maybe lots of children, and you're just too busy. You're too busy to do all the things that they need you to do to be the person that they need you to be. Insert Cat Stevens' Cats in the Cradle, right? The theme of that song, if you know that. So beware, beware busy seasons that become busy lifestyles that suddenly you realize it's been an overly busy lifetime. Because there was no rhythm, there was no break to the constant go, 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 go. God has said, 
You need to break that rhythm every week. He gives you one day to rest, to worship, to renew, to be rejuvenated. Now my third point. The ultimate rest behind the Sabbath rest. There is an ultimate rest behind the Sabbath rest. Ed Clowney, I've quoted him several times in the series and his book, uh, How Jesus Transforms the Ten Commandments. Listen to this. Christ brings spiritual rest. He calls to the weary and burdened to come for him, to Him for rest. Yet even in the invitation, Jesus revealed the heavenly nature of His rest. The Lord's day does not yet offer us the satisfaction and joy that we will one day know in our final and ultimate rest. Can we just say that our Sabbath, however we're practicing it, it is to be a little shadow of the greater substance that one day is to be ours. And we're supposed to be learning now how to rest, how to celebrate, how to enjoy God with God's people. Because that's what the ultimate rest is going to look like when His people are with Him for eternity. And He said He has secured that rest. That rest cannot be taken away from His people. And because that ultimate rest is true, we're called and we have the freedom to experience and practice that kind of rest right now. So if you're an overperforming, if you're the type A person who just has a hard time not doing something, Sabbath rest is probably very hard for you, isn't it? But God's calling you to practice now what it is to be in His presence, to say, ah, you know, the dishes can stay in the sink, right? We'll deal with them Monday. You know it's okay to do that, and it could be spiritual to do that. That could be done by faith in your household. I don't know what your tensions and difficulties with Sabbath rest are. I just know that you have them. We all have them. You may have memories of it being musty and dusty in your church Sunday school room as a child. You may have memories of a list of all the things that you can't do or couldn't do or shouldn't do. I'm not here to add to that list. I this morning just want to ask about your list. Does it make sense according to Scripture? And how are you trying by faith to really enjoy the rest that God says His people are to have in this world? When the world is frantic and restless, can you be at rest and at peace, trusting the Lord? Or do you feel like you can't take a day off because it's ultimately up to you and you got to compete and keep up with everybody else who's going full speed ahead. There's this strange Sabbath calm that Christians are supposed to experience. It's inexplicable, but it's who we're supposed to be in the earth. Parents of young children, I want to encourage you, however you can, to help your kids have a positive view of the Sabbath. Help them to not see it as the day that you can't do anything and you don't really know why. But maybe you can make it a day that's beautiful for them. A day of we get to's. A day of, wow, Sunday's the highlight 
of the week. And I'll give you a few examples. When I first came to the area 20 years ago, I had a Sunday lunch uh, with Dr. Kirkendall. Some of you may know that name. Not the young Kirkendall, but his father, who is now deceased. And so I went over into the home of the Kirkendalls, the mother and the father. And we were talking about the Lord's Day. And they shared something with us about how they had raised their children, their sons. They said, well, our kids would come home from church. And they would look at us and they would say, can we go to the porch now? And they would say, nope, not quite time for lunch, almost. But when it was time to come to the big meal at the big table, the kids knew that on Sunday, Sunday was the only day, they could go out to the little screen porch where there was a second refrigerator. And that refrigerator was stocked with every kind of soda you could imagine. They didn't have soda during the week. But on the Lord's Day, they could have all the soda that they wanted to. And as he told me that story, I thought, now that is a simple, creative way for kids to not see the day as things they don't get or don't get to have, but there's an anticipation that there's something about Sunday that's a blessed day. It's a day of get-tos rather than a day of nots. Now, of course, the Christian parent would not just stop with the soda. They would want to connect the dots for the child through the years. That there's a reason why Sunday's a special day. It's what the Lord has done for His people in the work of Jesus Christ, that He is our rest. He's the one we look to. We come into His presence and find joy and celebration. You may consider doing something like that with your family, if you have young children. Uh, maybe it's the one day that you have a big special family dessert. Maybe you cut desserts out all the other days of the week, but Sunday, you're overdoing it as a celebration and with joy. I don't know, you, you are creative people, but think of ways for our little ones that you can help them see that, man, Sabbath rest, Sabbath day, it's not musty and old and unenjoyable. It's the best of the best. And getting a meal and getting together with family and with people and worshiping the living God, that there is something special to that that shapes us for the rest of our lives. You know, the Sabbath, it was never intended to be a burden. It was intended to be a blessing to weary people. A day where worship would reorient our tired hearts where it was okay to not get on the treadmill and run in your six days of labor as you always did, but to walk away from it by faith and say, Monday morning's coming, but today's the Lord's day and it's to be enjoyed as a day of rest and a day of gladness. We're going to close here in just a moment with a hymn, O Day of Rest and Gladness. And I know that sounds archaic and we don't really talk like that. But I want you to think about, you know, what is the day for you? Oh, day of naps and football? Really? That would be the hymn that some of our hearts would naturally sing. It's a day of rest and gladness that's centered on the gospel, the person of Jesus Christ, and our celebrating what it is to be a forgiven people that God intimately cares for. 
Let's pray and then let's sing and then we're going to come to the table of rest and gladness. Let's pray. Lord, would you forgive our stubborn, hard hearts that have made a blessing like the Sabbath into a burden. We've, we've made it into a list of things you can't do when you've simply said it's about worship and being reoriented to our Heavenly Father and not having to work. So, Lord, we thank you for that great blessing. Would you help us apply it rightly? Uh, particularly our families, would you bless them in an effort that we would see the day as being what it truly is, a joy, a reason to celebrate, that time pauses, life comes to stillness so that we can rest and we can worship before engaging Monday again. Lord, do this. We ask and we pray in Christ's name. Amen.